This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging for Canadians. Good afternoon, I'm Libby Snymer. Welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. On September 11, 2001, all 658 Cantor Fitzgerald employees working on and above the 101st floor of One World Trade Center lost their lives. Just days after the attack, Chairman and CEO Howard Lutnick promised that 25% of Cantor Fitzgerald's profits would go to the families of the deceased. He kept his promise, and along with his sister Edie, he's since raised over $250 million for the families of 9-11 victims. Today I'll be joined by Howard and Edie Lutnick to talk about their memories of the tragedy and how their lives and many others have changed since. Also, a wake-up call about Zoomers and debt. A CIBC study finds that the 45-plus are piling on household debt more than any other demographic. We'll talk to personal finance guru Gordon Pape about why that is and what we can do to get out of the red before it's too late. And it's just two days until Leonard Cohen releases his first studio album in over seven years. We'll hear one of Cohen's new songs and tell you how you can hear the entire album before anyone else. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. The government is thinking about raising the eligibility age for old age security from 65 to 67. Prime Minister Harper spoke about the possible change this week at the Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland. This isn't going over well with the opposition New Democrats or with CARP, a new vision of aging. Here's Susan Eng, Vice President of Advocacy for CARP. Well, I can see why he's trying to do that. His finances are out of control, but he's looking at the wrong place. There are many other places where he could be saving the money rather than attacking a bunch of people who are going to need this money badly. They've uh, paid into the tax system for 40 years, and now they're going to watch their safety net being attacked. Also from Davos, computer mogul Bill Gates delivered the message that tough economic times are no excuse for cutting aid to the world's poorest people. And with that, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation committed another $750 million towards a global fund to combat AIDS, tuberculosis and malaria. This comes on top of the $650 million the Gates Foundation has given since the global fund was launched 10 years ago. Along with creating Microsoft and changing the landscape of personal computing, Gates is also famous for signing a pledge stating that he intends to give away at least half of his wealth to charity. A local Toronto professor is being honoured with a major award for contributions to the field of psychotherapy. York University's Leslie Greenberg, a pioneer of emotion-focused therapy, has been chosen as the winner of the 2012 American Psychological Association Award for Distinguished Professional Contributions to Applied Research. Emotion-focused therapy helps people identify which of their emotions can help them cope and which ones are harmful. It can help people learn to use emotions like healthy grief, empowering anger, and compassion as resources to transform emotions such as fear and shame. Greenberg has received many awards over a long career and is published widely. 
He'll receive the award at the 2012 APA convention in Florida in August, where he will speak about his work. An 85-year-old Alaskan woman is safe and sound after fighting off an attacking moose. Dorothea Taylor and her husband George were finishing up a walk with their two dogs when they decided to return to their car. Suddenly, the dogs started barking wildly at a moose that appeared to be attacking them. It turned out it wasn't the dogs the moose was after. He was attacking her husband, George. It wasn't Feller the moose was after at all. He was breaking over the top of Feller to get George, and he had him half buried in the snow. Dorothea took a shovel from the car and started beating the moose off, hitting it over the head and on its behind until it finally retreated from the scene. George suffered seven broken ribs, a hurt leg, and a six-inch cut across the head. Despite the close call, he holds no hard feelings against the moose. And finally, we just recently reported that Aretha Franklin, the Queen of Soul, was set to marry her longtime friend Willie Wilkerson. Well, it seems that the couple might have felt they were rushing into things and have now decided to put the wedding on hold. Franklin released a statement on her Facebook page saying that she and Will have decided that things were moving a little too fast. Those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. I'm Louise Nimer, and you're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. It's not the way you'd expect Zoomers to handle their finances. But people over 45 are driving virtually all of the increase in Canada's household debt load. That's what CIBC economists found when they crunched the numbers at the micro level to find out what's behind the surge that the Bank of Canada calls the number one risk to our economy. The report is appropriately titled Punch Drunk, and I talked to our personal finance expert, Gordon Pape, to get his take. Number one, I'm not surprised because I know that a lot of people are um, refinancing their homes, especially given the low interest rates on home equity lines of credit. A significant percentage don't have uh, significant financial savings, and so they're probably running up the debt in order just to make ends meet. We make more money than our parents did. Uh, Why are we Zoomers running into trouble like this? Well, I think you have to keep in mind that this is the biggest consumer generation in history. Uh, Baby boomers invented the credit card. They invented the home equity line of credit. Uh, They, in other words, figured out ways in which they could borrow far more than their parents or grandparents would ever have dreamed possible or that the banks of those days ever would have thought of lending. What advice, Gordon, do you have to people who are having trouble saving money? The advice I have is you've got to suck it up and make sacrifices. The plain fact is that none of this is going to come easy. Most people in the private sector uh, don't have a pension plan. What that means is that the pressure to uh, save money becomes much greater because, in effect, we have to provide for our own retirement, and people haven't been doing that. We need to save between 10% and 21% of our gross income, gross income, in order to be able to maintain a standard of living after retirement. And the older you are with uh, situations where you don't have a pension plan and you haven't saved much, the higher the percentage is going to be. So my advice to people is take a good hard look at your finances. Consider very carefully what your costs are going to be when the time comes that you want to retire and either put more money aside or make the decision that a lot of people are making that, 65 is not a realistic age to retire at anymore, and keep on going, keep on working. 
How do you recommend that people start putting something away, and what should they do with that money? Say you're still working, and you got a raise at the beginning of um, 2012. You take a percentage of that raise, which is now new money, which is coming in, and you put that money aside, and you earmark it in one of two ways. Either you're going to use that to pay down expensive debts, and by that I mean credit card debt, uh, which, of course, has astronomically high interest rates, or if you're not carrying that debt, which you're hopefully not, then use that to put aside in a savings account that is tax-sheltered. So that's either an RSP or a tax-free savings account, depending on your personal situation. Do the same thing if you get a tax refund this year, and the majority of Canadians will get a tax refund. Keep doing that every year, and it begins to add up over time. The other thing is, you know, people, even if they do have money, are a little gun-shy with these crazy markets, and there are a lot of people who are not quite putting the money under the mattress, but uh, putting them in very safe instruments that basically yield no interest, GICs, whatever. Mm-hmm. What, do, what do you tell them? Should they keep doing that to be safe? Because you're going to be behind the eight ball. It's not going to keep up with inflation. If you're not earning at least 2.3% on your money, you're not even keeping up with inflation and your purchasing power is being steadily eroded over time. I recommend a, uh, a balanced portfolio. There are some very good conservatively managed balanced mutual funds that uh, people can buy There are uh, ways in which you can construct a balanced portfolio. I was writing about one recently that was 40% in a bond ETF and uh, 60% in uh, various types of low-risk stocks. I'm talking here about things like Enbridge and BCE and TransCanada, things that don't carry a lot of risk. And that carry dividends. And pay dividends, which is very important. And uh, that particular portfolio, we set that up at the beginning of 2008, just before the market crashed. And uh, we reviewed it uh, mid-January, and um, it's gained an average of almost 10% a year during that time. That's amazing. It is possible to do much better than you can um, receive from a GIC, for example, with a little thought, a little care, uh, some professional financial advice. Uh, These things can all help you get on a track where you can earn significantly more on your money with a little more risk. Yes, no question about that, but not a lot more risk. Okay. On that note, I think we'll wrap it up. Gordon Pape, thank you so much for joining us. No, it's a pleasure, Libby. Okay. We'll talk to you again soon. Okay. Bye-bye. You'll find more financial advice from Gordon Pape in his regular columns for Zoomer magazine, 50plus.com, and through his website, (laughs) buildingwealth.ca. I'm Libby Snymer, and you're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review on the new AM740. Coming up, I'll be joined by Howard and Edie Lutnick, the brother and sister team that rebuilt Cantor Fitzgerald and raised millions of dollars for the victims after devastating losses in 9-11. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging for Canadians. On September 11, 2001, 658 men and women at the New York investment dealer Cantor Fitzgerald found themselves trapped in the World Trade Center. They all perished, and it seemed inevitable that their company would as well. But Cantor Fitzgerald today is flourishing largely through the efforts of its CEO, then and now Howard Lutnick. 
He was in town with his sister Edie, who left her job as a lawyer that terrible day to start the Cantor Fitzgerald Relief Fund. It has raised an astounding $250 million for Cantor Fitzgerald families and related charities. I sat down with Howard and Edie after they spoke at the Ramsey Luncheon earlier this month. My brother, Gary, was killed uh, on 9-11, and of course so was my best friend, Doug. We had a policy at the firm that we wanted to hire uh, our friends, people that we liked. So I hired my brother and my best friend, but so did everyone in the firm, and that's what made the losses of September 11th even more difficult because we all lost you know, someone so, so close to us. We lost 26 sets of brothers. That means a mother lost her two boys. Uh, we also had uh, one family that lost uh, two daughters. Your firm was devastated. You lost 658 employees. You lost your computers. What, what did you do? I asked my employees the night of September 11th that we had a choice. We, we could either shut the firm down and go to our friends' funerals, or we'd have to work harder than we've ever worked before. And the only reason to go to work would be to help our friends' families. And so uh, all of our surviving employees committed that they wanted to go back to work. They wanted to help our friends' families. So we committed 25% of the firm's profits uh, for the next five years and to pay for health care of each of these families for the next 10 years. How did that 25% promise enable you to rebuild your company? Because we had committed to helping uh, our friends' families, my key employees who, who were not in New York, they stayed. You know, they had so many opportunities to uh, be hired away, but... Because of our 25% commitment, they wanted to help their friends' families, so, so they stayed. And uh, it helped bond the people together. It also helped us hiring new people because uh, new people wanted to join the company because they knew uh, we were trying to do good. You brought your sister in. I needed uh, my sister uh, to run our foundation to find these families, to talk to them, to help them, to take care of them, to touch them, to do all the things necessary to really show love and respect and care for these families. And so my sister, who was completely heartbroken with the loss of my brother, um, she used that broken heart to go and, and form the heart of our foundation, the Cannabis Relief Fund. It's amazing because we didn't even know who the families were. We didn't know who the victims were. We had to figure out where their next of kin was, who they were, who their families were. We had to put together an entire structure in place on how to run a business. You know, you when you give money, you have to keep track of it so that you can send tax forms afterwards. Well, that means you need computer systems. So, you know, people were so generous. They sent us things. They sent us teddy bears. They sent us quilts. It meant I had to have warehouses. We had tons of volunteers who came in. But you have to feed them. So we were working 22 hours a day to do everything that we could to try to start giving checks. And, and uh, our first round of checks went out on October the 4th, three weeks before we didn't exist. So how did you figure out what exactly you wanted to do? We wanted to do everything. We wanted to do absolutely everything. We didn't set a particular agenda beyond the fact that we were going to take care of the victims of 9-11. That was the mission. And you're right. It's very, very broad. But what we found was that for many charities in the U.S., they were treating this as business as usual. And if you treated it as business as usual, you weren't necessarily helping the people the way that you wanted to. So we wanted to help them financially. And the way that we did that was that Cantor Fitzgerald 
agreed to give 25% of their profits for five years and health care for 10 years, which was enormous. What was the biggest challenge in, in trying to do business right after September 11th? Well, I mean, the challenges were endless. I had to convince um, my bank to let me buy and sell securities when we were obviously a fractured and destroyed company. So just to trust us enough to know that we wouldn't um, mess up more things than we already had. Remember, we had all the business from Friday and Monday. We started to pay for on, on Tuesday, September 11th. We lost all our computers and all our people, so I had to convince the bank to let us open. Then I had to try to get the technology to connect all our clients to work. Then we didn't have any salespeople, so I was hiring you know, dozens of people over the weekend, but I had no idea whether they could do the job or not. If you were breathing and if you could start on Monday, we hired you. So uh, it worked, and we were able to survive as a company, and then we were able to build ourselves as a company and hire more experienced people and continue to build and improve the company over time. And as our clients started to deal with us less with love and more with requirements that we had to be good, we were able to grow the business and become better and better and better um, and just keep up with our clients. But make no mistake about it, the firm survived because of the goodwill of its clients. Now, you've taken a lot of flack after you made this commitment. You know, the media uh, in, in the U.S. seized on that and said, well, 25% of nothing is nothing. Wasn't a lot of the flack related to the fact that you stopped the paychecks of the dead employees on September 15th? Well, the news media said, gee, this guy has promised to take care of these families, and then he pays them on the 15th, but he stops paying them on the end of September. But remember, I lost two-thirds of my staff, and then I had secretaries without bosses, so I really, of the 960 people at the firm. I only had 150 still working for me on January 1st, uh, 2002. There, there, were, there was no revenues to pay people. What I could do is I could say, if we rebuilt this company, I will give you far more than any uh, paycheck or two. Uh, but the company could not possibly uh, be in business and didn't have the money to make you know, salary payments to people who were dead. Money is all well and good, and it's important, and it's necessary. But if you can't get out of bed and cash that check, what good is it? You have to want to live. You have to want to feed your children. You have to want to embrace a new day, as painful as that is. And so we had to address the needs of the whole person. And that meant everything from setting up support groups, getting people together, helping them through a bureaucracy in, in terms of what was being thrown at them, guiding them in terms of, of the legalities, getting them death certificates so that even if they had resources from other things that they would be able to take advantage of them. One of the most interesting things I heard in your talk was that a lot of other charities came out of yours from people wanting to memorialize. Tell me about that. It is one of the things that I am the most proud of. Our families... Uh, wanted to memorialize their loved one. And that was also a theme that I heard over and over again. And so we decided to give each family money to memorialize their loved one any way that they saw fit. And so hundreds and hundreds of charities started by the families came out of this. And they're not 9-11 charities. It is so much broader than that. Okay, on that note, we'll wrap it up. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. 
You can read more about the Relief Fund and how the Cantor Fitzgerald families face the tragedy in Edie Lutnick's new book, An Unbroken Bond. I'm Libby Snymer, and you're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review on the new AM740. On Tuesday, Leonard Cohn will release his first new album in nearly eight years. And you don't have to wait to get a taste. We'll sample one of the songs from the album next. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging for Canadians. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Canadian Zoomer icon Leonard Cohn is set to release his first studio album since 2004 and his 12th overall since 1967. It's called Old Ideas and early reviews are extremely positive. The album will be available online and in stores Tuesday, but you can get an early listen by streaming the entire album at zoomermag.com Cohen. And right now, here's a taste of what you'll hear. It's the latest single released on Leonard Cohen's website, and it's called Darkness. I'll cut the darkness. It was drinking from your cup. I'll cut the darkness. Drinking from your cup. I said, is this contagious? said just drink it up I've got no future I know my days are few The present's not that pleasant Just a lot of things to do I thought the past would last me But the darkness got that too That was Darkness, one of the songs from Leonard Cohen's new album, Old Ideas, available in stores and online this Tuesday. You can also stream the album in its entirety and enter to win a special Leonard Cohen prize pack at zoomermag.com. That brings us to the end of another edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Zneimer. Thanks for joining me today. I hope you'll be back next Sunday at noon right here on the new AM740 Zoomer Radio. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review. Heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.